All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your host, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And if I sound a little different this episode, it's because I'm using a new microphone that is hopefully better, but who knows? We'll see how that ends up playing out. But regardless, we're in the midst of the conference finals. Some, I was going to say some really exciting games have gone on, but to be completely honest, it's just been a lot of blowouts. So hasn't been the most exciting uh, past few weeks of basketball, but still a lot to talk about. So let's just jump right in. Let's go to the East first um, and talk about the Celtics Heat series. It's currently tied 2-2 with game five being played tomorrow. That's going to be a huge game, probably the biggest game of the conference finals. Um, and yeah, this this has really been the battle of who can blow each other out harder because pretty much every single game in this series has been a blowout either way. Either it's Boston blowing out Miami or Miami blowing out Boston. Um, and yeah, so the, the closest yeah. point margin of any game was six points, but it wasn't like a close six points at all. Yeah, it was one of those games where it's like the score makes it seem like it was way closer than it actually was. All of these games are pretty much decided in the first half, I want to say. And the second half is more of a formality than anything. Yeah, so, when Duncan Robinson is getting minutes for the Heat now, you know that means uh, it's garbage time. <laughs> but the thing is, is like I actually just want to talk about that. In game four, when you know Spolstra gave Duncan Robinson something like 20 minutes, Duncan actually looked pretty good out there. He, I think he made like four threes. He was not terrible on defense. So I don't see why he shouldn't get more playing time. Like, I, I know we're going to keep coming back to this, and keep, it's going to be a big talking point, especially in the offseason, because he's getting paid so much money. But when, like, you're paying a guy $90 million to shoot the three ball, and he can do that still, but you don't play him for some reason, that's going to raise questions. Do you think he should take that Max Drews starting spot if Max Drews isn't hitting threes? I think so. I mean, I, honestly, I'm not crazy on Max Drews. Um, anymore. I mean, I never really was like a huge Max Drew supporter. I think he's very solid. Um, but I think that Duncan Robinson, yes, he's going to give you less than a defensive end, but his ability to get hot and to just light it up from three is invaluable. Like how many players have his flamethrower ability in the NBA? I would argue maybe he might be the only one besides yeah. like I don't know, because like Clay Thompson used to be the guy that we used to say could do that. You know, it just gives you like six threes in a quarter or something ridiculous like that. Just unbelievable shooting performances. But Clay Thompson hasn't looked like that in a long time. And so I would say like Duncan Robinson, when he's hot, he might be one of the hottest players in in the NBA. Yeah, and also like no matter how good of a defense you play if you're Boston, if Duncan Robinson is hitting threes, just like he's getting the ball and just shooting and making it, you can't really do anything about that. You're kind of just like, exactly. well, we hope he misses. Um, exactly. And yeah, he, like you said, he does have defensive deficiencies, but that heat zone defense can make up for those things. We saw that in the run to the in the bubble in 2020. And yeah, that you might be like getting a little exposed, but if you're just putting up way more offense than you're giving up on defense, then you're fine. Exactly, and that's what you have a terrific interior defender like Bam Adebayo there for. And I also do want to just sort of walk back what I was saying. Like, obviously, there's plenty of players in the NBA who can get as hot, if not hotter, than Duncan Robinson, like you know Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, etc. So I just want to like you know chill with no, the but he, he's, a little bit. He's definitely one of those guys who's up there. Like he he doesn't yeah. have the name, but I mean, if you were to put Duncan Robinson, Steph, or Dame next to each other, you, there could be days where Duncan Robinson could go hand in hand with those guys. No question. 
Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to like, you know, may, not make it seem like he's the greatest shooter to have ever played and Eric Spolster is <laughs> a moron for not playing him. Obviously, they, the Heat probably have legitimate reasons for not playing him. But, you know, that is when, when a series gets close, like you want to start analyzing these things really closely and, and seeing if some, some adjustments could be made. And that's just something I saw from game four. Um, but the, let's talk about that game four actually in a little bit more depth because the Heat starting lineup in that game put up a combined 18 points in the entire game. And that's the lowest point total for a starting five in NBA history. So Since you- 1974, but that was when the NBA was founded and this stat was recorded. So that means in NBA history, no team has put up less points. And this was also in a playoff game, which makes it even worse. So, I mean, what do you take away from that? Is that something that the Miami Heat coaching staff should look into, like potentially switching up the starting lineup? Because we have a guy like Victor Oladipo who's been playing amazing, and I, we're going to talk about him a little bit more, but he's coming off the bench right now. Is that a question in their mind of potentially moving him to the starting lineup? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at, like, obviously this whole game was a blowout and, like, Guys, like we talked about this, plus minus isn't a great stat, but like Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, and Max Struess all had a at least minus 30. You're not going to take out PJ Tucker. You're not going to take out Jimmy Butler. But maybe you look at Max Struess and say, this guy shot 0 for 7 from the field. He had 0 for 4 on 3. And this is a, this is a culture where it's like put the best guys in. And if Victor Oladipo is giving you 18 points in the first half and literally is, has double over half your team's points, put him in the starting lineup in that next game and see what he does. Maybe, hey, screw it. Max Struess, you're setting out this game. You're getting a DNP. Duncan Robinson, you're taking those Victor Oladipo bench minutes. Like You could just mess around with it because at this point, they need to find ways to edge out the other team. And you have to realize that the Celtics are going to be doing the same exact thing, is finding little ways to edge out the other team, and that's how they're going to win in this series because these are pretty even teams. I would say, honestly, like on the surface, they're even, but I would say that the Celtics have proven that they are definitively the better team in this series. Like you look at the scoring between these two teams, Boston has far outscored Miami in the entire series. Um, The game, the game three blowout that Miami had in Boston, I would credit that in large part uh, because Robert Williams was out. And obviously game one, we were missing. I'm saying we, but um, sorry. Boston was missing. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not a Celtics fan. I'm not a Celtics fan, I promise you. But Boston was missing Marcus Smart and Al Horford. So the times where Miami has just steamrolled um, the Celtics, it's been largely due to injuries. And then vice versa, you just haven't seen the same thing. So I would say that, you know, if you are Miami, I would agree with you. You have to start making some big adjustments, you know, mess around with the starting lineup. Give more time to the people who deserve it because – you need to just like try new things because what is happening is clearly not working in my opinion. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, when you, you only played Max Struess 15 minutes as well, and he shot the ball seven times. So he's shooting it pretty often relative to when he gets it. And you took him out um, pretty early in that game. So it, very indicative of, you know, playing Duncan Robinson 23 minutes in that game, which is, 10 more minutes than you played Max Drews, maybe they are going to be shifting towards Duncan Robinson. Maybe we're just pointing out something that they're already thinking and, ta- and talking about. Definitely could be. I mean, tomorrow is really going to be the tell. Um, but let, let's go back to Victor Oladipo because he was a guy coming into the playoffs that we talked about as 
potentially could be an X factor for this Heat team because he didn't play a lot in the regular season because of injuries. And the Miami Heat got him on a, on a minimum contract. We see what, what kind of heights he has been before. You know, this is a guy who's always in the running for or was in the running for defensive teams, was an all-star, you know, like looked like one of the better two-way players in our league. And, you know, Miami Heat gets him on a minimum contract. We're like, what can he do on this team? And we're finally seeing some of that potential come to life in this series. He, in game three, put on a defensive clinic. I think he had something like, what, six steals, right? Yeah. I, um, was it that many? I'm not sure. It was between four to six steals. But regardless, he was playing lockdown defense on Jalen Brown. And then game four, as we said, like he came off the bench and I think he ended up scoring like 24 points that game, even though it was a blowout. Like he showcased that he is still a good to a player, if not a great one. Like we, we have to see yeah. how that like plays out consistently. But still, what he have had you four seen steals. from Victor? Four, four steals. steals in that Apologies. Game. Still. Um, what have you seen from Victor Oladipo? Man, I think we. If Victor Oladipo weren't playing like this right now, we'd be looking at a very different series, and they'd probably be down three-one. Um, I really do think Victor Oladipo has been that X factor for them, the difference maker that that place that has put them in the same arena as the Celtics. Because at least in the regular season, when we were talking about teams, I mean, yeah, there was obviously the, the Bucks and these different teams, and the Nets and all those things. But when we're looking at it now and looking at hindsight, the the Celtics were very clearly the most playoff and like finals bound team in the sense of how they were built defensive, like number one defensive rating team in the NBA, which is a huge factor. I mean, the fact that they had the stars, they had the role players. Um, th- this team was very much built for the postseason, and they were ramping up. They were getting hot, which is great. Uh, in this heat team, you couldn't really say the same thing. There were people in and out of this lineup constantly. I mean, that's part of the culture, but also injuries plagued them a little bit. And then Victor Oladipo finally gets back and it's like, all right, well, we'll see what he can do. And he brought them into that arena 100%. I would, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I also, think I, you have, sorry, I was also going to say you have to credit Jimmy Butler for putting up 40 point master classes and arguably being the best player for most of these playoffs. But I mean, like Victor Oladipo has definitely been that second guy to help him out. I mean, definitely. But we have not seen, speaking of Jimmy Butler, we have not seen the super dominant Jimmy that, for the most part that we that we've seen for the rest of the playoffs and I think you have to credit the Celtics defense you know they've been able to limit like the best players in our game they they were able to do it to Kevin Durant they were able to do it to Giannis to a certain extent obviously there's no stopping any of these players but limiting their effectiveness and their efficiency is what the Celtics defense does and now yeah. what we're seeing is that being applied to Jimmy Butler and I think the reason that this series is so close and the reason that the Celtics are struggling a little bit more against the Heat than I did against this Bucks and obviously this Nets team is because this Heat team isn't about the stars per se. I mean, it helps when your stars are on point, but if Jimmy Butler doesn't have the ball in his hands, there are six, seven, eight other guys in this team who can get a bucket, who can get you with three, who can make the right pass, and everybody buys into that, which is something that the Celtics have emulated this year. But the Heat are the perfect counter to that style because the, their stars aren't always the ones getting points. I mean, I would agree to, with that. I will say, though, that um, like what we have seen is that some players that we expect to step up have not really done so for Correct. Miami. And I, I, the guy I really point to for this 
is Bam Adebayo because Bam Adebayo, in my opinion, really has to have a dominant series if the Miami Heat want to win and, and go to the NBA Finals. And he has been underwhelming, to say the least. When in Game 3, though, when Robert Williams was out, he do, did put up an absolutely phenomenal game. He had 31 points, 10 boards, 6 assists, and I think 4 steals. 4 steals, correct. Yeah. So, like, that that's an incredible game, and you expect him to continue those types of performances. But then he comes back in Game 4, stinks it up, and puts up 9, 6, and 2, like a very meager stat line. And we need to see more consistency from him because – Miami Heat fans always talk about him as one of the best big men of the game, but he has just been so inconsistent. And yes, he's been good defensively. He has been playing that role, which is why he's always in the running for those defensive teams. But on offense, you know, like we need to see a lot more from him because the Celtics are getting a ton of production out of Robert Williams when he is able to play or even Al Horford on both ends of the floor. So Miami, yes, you have Dwayne Dedman, but you know, that's not really in the same caliber at the, as the Celtics big man that he needs to really carry them on both the offensive and defensive side as the big man. Um, if this, if the heat want a chance, really, I, I mean, outside of that shoulders. 31 point game, he's the most points he's had in the game is 10 points, which um, is very underwhelming to say the least this team in general, just like you said, Dwayne Dedman is your second best big man. Yeah. He can give you solid minutes, off the bench, maybe play 12 minutes a game, get Bam some rest. But it's also hard for Bam because he's going against both Grant Williams and Robert Williams, who are much bigger than him, just as physical, and are all about getting the boards and the blocks. And those type of big men are, I think, who Bam struggles most against because Bam loves to play against those versatile, kind of softer centers like your Nikola Jokic, for example. I think that's who he thrives off of. The guys who aren't necessarily getting dirty down in the paint at every single moment because I mean, that's just, he's not built for that. I mean, he can get, he can pickpocket those guys. He can get the steals, but that's not going to happen on every possession. He's going to get taken advantage of sometimes and the heat compensate for that very well, but then he needs to also be aggressive on the offensive end. And it can be very tiring being in his position. I'm sure he just needs to say, do I really want this? Which I'm sure he does. And he needs to find that place where he can, battle with Grant Williams and Robert Williams constantly and then come back on the other end and put get a monster dunk or a hook or some kind of mid-range shot because he does have a phenomenal mid-range which I have not really seen him use outside of game three I wouldn't call it phenomenal I think it's a decent shot I wouldn't like if think if the Celtics see a bam jumper they'll they'll live with it but you know I think it's something that he could definitely use you know what I'm saying but like because it's just to vary up his arsenal a little bit But speaking of players that I feel have been underwhelming for Miami, I want to talk about Kyle Lowry for a little bit, because in my opinion, I have also not seen what I've wanted to see from Kyle Lowry. He's He's still not himself. He's still not himself. You think that's from the, that's because of the injury? I do. I think it's a rhythm thing as well. I think it's a little bit of both. I think the injury can mess up your rhythm. So I'd say it's a mix. That's fair. I mean, definitely doesn't look like, you know, Toronto Raptors, Kyle Lowry, but I, I don't know really yet if it's, if I could say it's because of the injury or just due to underperformance. I think the, the, the best answer would just be to say it's some sort of mixture of both. Um, but for, as for looking toward the future, um, namely like tomorrow and beyond, 
how do you think this series is going to play out? And who do you really think has to step up for either team um, if, you know, they want to walk away with this and then go to the NBA Finals? Well, I have Heat and six in this series still. You still um, confident about that? Still? No, 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 no. I'm saying that was my original prediction. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I might have to end up – I'm still going to go Heat and seven. I, I'm, I'm big on this Heat team. Um, like you said, I think Boston has been the clearer team. Like they've scored way more points in the games they've won, um, and they've looked more dominant at all times. But I think it's those slight moments where they crumble that Miami just takes advantage, and I think Miami has less of those crumble moments. And I think that's going to come at, come huge in the stretch. I disagree. I mean, I still am sticking with uh, Celtics and six. I think that they're going to come into Miami tomorrow and just keep that momentum going from game four and, and take the game. I think it's going to be a much closer game. I don't expect this one to be a blowout because I think both teams realize the importance of this game five. But I, I expect them to win in Miami and then carry that momentum forward, close it out in TD Garden in six. And I expect to see amazing performances from Jason Tatum. I mean, let's talk about him in game four. He put up, what, uh, 24 points in a half to to power that game four blowout. I mean, he's been playing incredible in this postseason. I mean, yes, he has his bad games, but I feel like during those bad games, it's mainly because his team as a whole, everyone is playing poorly. Um, So I would say, like, just moving on to conference finals MVP – if, if the Celtics end up winning this one, I think it clearly has to go to Tatum. Mm-hmm. And then if the Heat win, which I view as pretty unlikely, um, I think you have to go Jimmy Butler. He's He has been the best player for them, even though he has not been, like, super, super dominant. But would you agree with those picks? Yeah, I mean, I just don't know who I'd give it to if I didn't give it to Jimmy Butler because everybody else has kind of, like, had their one good game and Jimmy's maybe had his one bad game. Yeah, uh, I think so. That's fair. You're going to go with like Tyler Hero or something? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Victor Oladipo? I, yeah, if, if he starts maybe and then he like drops 40 points in the, oh the remaining. Can you imagine if he, Victor Oladipo comes out tomorrow and just like has a master class, goes like back to Indiana and you know, was crying on the floor because he's like, you know, so happy he's himself. It's <laughs> <laughs> like he's crying. You're very into like fan fiction territory. <laughs> no, it's like like LeBron, like after the finals, like you know, in Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland, Indiana, this is for you. <laughs> uh, no, that would be hilarious. I, th- I think moving on to the next series, though, let's talk sure, yeah. talk about this Mavs Warriors series. Not the most exciting series so far, but at least the Mavs didn't get swept. The Mavs won today in a pretty convincing victory. They only won by 10 in the box score, but we're up by 29 points going into the fourth quarter. I got uh, worried there for a second, if I'm being honest. Like, when yeah, the Warriors cut it to 10, I was a little worried. They cut it to eight with three minutes left, and, you know, everyone's sitting there like, are they going to blow it again? But they were able to hold on this time, and it's a 3-1 uh, lead for the Warriors. So, I mean, I, I think this series is pretty cut and dry. I mean, hey, look. I was a very big fan of this idea of Mavs and seven, but let's all be honest. Here. <laughs> that is not, that's not reality. Um, Warriors and five is the almost like, like surefire path. I will say yeah. though, if the Warriors don't win game five, I think it is going to seven. I do think the Warriors will win that game. No way. I see the Warriors losing, but if the Warriors somehow manage to lose at home, I think it's going to seven. 
so do you think there's any chance at all that no. the Mavs could be the <laughs> no. first team in NBA history to come back from a 0-3 deficit? I really don't. I mean, if they are like they're they're up by 29 and then they're like barely holding on to this 10-point lead, like that's saying a little something. I really think there's I really don't see a world where it, the Warriors lose game five. They're very, you know. Um, long-lasting professional organization with lots of veterans and veteran stars. Um, I just Luca cannot beat this team by himself. Is that's just the deal? I mean, if like Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson played like they played tonight for the rest of the series, it's going to be more competitive game by game. Um, but no, there's no way the Mavs are able to come back in this. The Mavs have to be kicking themselves, though, because, like, in game two, they had a sizable lead. I think they were up maybe, like, 19 or something like that. They, they, they were up lose. by 15. They were up by 15 at the half, the same amount they were up in this game at the half. And they lost that game. And and imagine how different a series this would be if it was 2-2 heading back to Golden State right now. But instead, you know, you're coming back from an 0-3 deficit. It's 3-1 now. It's nearly impossible. And I just want to talk about the Mavericks for a little bit. So – the big part of why they won this game is because they shot the lights out for three. This has been their 11th game with 15 three-pointers this postseason, and that's the most in a single postseason NBA history. I have not seen a team in a very long time. The Rockets maybe were the ever. last team. Yeah maybe, yeah, maybe the Rockets would be the last the 20, time. 2018 Rockets, I think. That have really like lived and died exclusively by the three-point line. Nearly every single possession for the Mavericks on offense ends in a three-point shot of some kind. And when it works, it works amazingly. You see them go on these huge runs. They just go to like very convincing leads, and you think they're going to walk away with the game. But then it comes back to bite them when they go cold and they can't hit anything, and the Warriors are able to creep up on them and end up stealing those games. But tonight, it wasn't that the case at all. Like, they hit all their threes and they continued hitting them and, and they won this game. Um, and I yeah, like it, it's players that you wouldn't really expect that I would say are like the big engines when the Mavericks win. It's like Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, he had a game earlier in the postseason with eight threes tonight. He had more than four. I don't remember exactly how many he had, um, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, obviously playing well, Maxi Kleba. These are the guys that really like push you over the edge into, into the winning territory. Cause Luca's always going to have his numbers. So what I mean, yeah, Reggie Bullock is another huge guy for them. Definitely. Yeah. We saw in game three, he went, oh, he, he went oh for 10, you know, he didn't score a single point that game and the Mavericks like really could have used that. But what have you seen from the, the Mavericks? Like, what do you think of their game plan? Like, should they try to retool it for the rest of the series to potentially give them a chance? What, what are your takeaways? Uh, I mean, what, what they did tonight, really helped them. I mean, the Mavericks, like you said, have lived and died at the three-point line. But this game was unique in the sense that they lived and died at the three-point line, but they had the same amount of points in the paint as the Warriors, and they were out-rebounding the Warriors, which they hadn't done at all in this series. Um, so if they can find those keys to stay competitive with the Warriors in the paint, which is a place the Warriors are more mixed in the way they play their offense. So if you can you know, stay on pace with them in the paint – even maybe even on pace with rebounding, you should be looking okay if you're hitting your shots. I mean, you don't need to be as on the fire as you were tonight, but if you can hit most of your shots, if you can keep up with the Warriors in the paint, um, and if you can rebound relatively well, it's, it's a competitive game. 
I would agree with that, but I, I think that the problem is is that the war, this Mavericks team just cannot rebound. Like, I mean, they 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 did tonight. They did tonight, but this was really the exception. Like just looking at the numbers, you know, like they've been out rebounded by 140 rebounds this playoffs. Like that's the whole series, and or that's the whole playoffs. And then even in this series, like they've been getting out rebounded constantly, and it's just because their players aren't really built to rebound. I feel like you know a guy like Jalen Brunson is not going to be snagging down a lot of boards. I feel like Luca is not a great offensive rebounder for as good as he is on the defensive boards. Maxi Kleba is not really that dominant as a post player. He's always and he's not like really a, a center. I mean, he's a power forward that like then that's being generous. Exactly. And so Davis like, Bertans isn't going to get you rebounds even if he is playing. So everyone's squaring up at the three. So no one's battling and boxing out in the post trying to get those boards. So the boards is always going to be like in favor for the other team. And in this case, I want to credit a couple of guys for the Warriors, and that's Kavon Looney and Andrew Wiggins, who have been amazing mm-hmm. on the glass. Like, they've been swallowing up almost every single rebound and also have just been playing, like, lights out, especially Wiggins. You know, he had that, like, Showtime Game 3 poster dunk on Luka Doncic and is actually leading the Warriors in three-point percentage in the playoffs. He's shooting almost 40%. So what what do you see from Wiggins and what do you see from Looney? Both of them in this series as a whole have been incredible. Andrew Wiggins had a new life to him in game three. Absolutely. I mean, he was getting all these putbacks. He was being very active, very athletic. Um, and he was just making timely, smart decisions that I think he really has picked up on in just being with the Warriors, just all these smart decision-making. And Kevon Looney has somehow turned into like, I don't know, Carl Malone, like just out of nowhere. Putting I up hope two- not. <laughs> Tur- uh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope he hasn't turned into Carl Malone. Wrong player. Basketball, Carl Malone. <laughs> <laughs> um, out there, he, you know, putting up 20 and 10 in game one. I mean, like, I think going back to the Mavericks a little bit, part of what the Mavericks did to win tonight was they contained Andrew Riggins and Kevon Looney. Uh, like we like we talked about, we talked about like how the role players for the Dallas team are what define the games for them. Um, that might be the same thing for the Warriors. Be Steph Clay and Wig, or no, sorry, Steph Clay and Poole are going to have their nights, or they're not. I mean, like you know, those guys sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. But it's going to be about how Andrew Wiggins, how Kevon Looney, how I don't know, even Draymond in some sense is like is Draymond being himself in the sense is he not fouling too much is he playing his game the way he wants to that's what makes the difference more so for the Warriors I'd say than Steph and Clay hitting their shots um so I think Andrew Wiggins and Kevon Looney in this game kind of just got unlucky with the way the, the boards or the ball was hitting off the backboard like it was kind of just favoring like you said like those long rebounds or what the Mavs kind of have to get to and that's not going to be happening every night uh right so so if Andrew Wiggins can make those smart decisions, get the rebounds, Kevon Looney, same thing. If those guys can do those two things, they should win game five convincingly. Can we talk about how good this trade does end up panning out for the Warriors? You know, when we, we first saw that trade that the, the Warriors are sending D'Angelo Russell to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins, everybody was scratching their head and saying this was a bad trade. And I think like it was a fair assessment at the time because Wiggins was not really a winning player, but the way he's been able to really buy into the system, transform his game, become an elite defender, 
make those winning plays has been nothing short of miraculous. Like he has really just reinvented himself as a player, and you just have to give him credit for that. Oh, 100 percent. Um, I think just a, a fresh atmosphere in the Warriors. It's just like a smart organization who develops young talent very well has helped him. And I think if he were in an organization like this earlier in his career, we could be looking at an entirely different player. I saw a very interesting hypothetical. What if the Cleveland Cavaliers never traded for Kevin Love and it was Braun, Kyrie, and Andrew Wiggins? Yeah. That's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, it it definitely is because, I mean, it it still fits the same and you have a guy like LeBron to guide him. Uh, So that is an interesting thought, which we'll talk about more stuff like that, I think, in the postseason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. um, Speaking about more about the Warriors, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on how you think the Splash Brothers have been playing, uh, particularly Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole, because I think Steph, we can both agree, like he's been playing pretty well. Yeah, Steph has been himself, but man, I'm just been disappointed by Clay overall. I really, you know, start to this season, he kind of seemed more like himself again. He's putting up these, you know, fiery performances, athletic um, dunks, and the defense just isn't there. It's not the same. He's not that same 3 and D guy that he was. I mean, he still can give you those minutes, but just not the same volume. Um and Jordan Poole has been the guy who was red hot to start the playoffs, but it's definitely cooled down a bit, come back down to earth, and it's been very inefficient. I mean, between – I don't know the numbers, but just the eye test has been telling me that Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole have probably been shooting less than 30% from three would be my guess in this series. Um, I don't know if that's right. Maybe you can, like, fact check me on that if you have the numbers. But they just have not looked good. And like I, I said, I think – those two hitting or missing their shots isn't going to be the defining factor for the Warriors. I mean, it definitely helps them. And if they are hitting their shots, it's, I don't see a way the Mavericks are winning because it's going to be playing the same three game as the Warriors and the Warriors are just going to do everything else better. Um, I don't really know what they can do to find their footing. I mean, with Jordan Poole, it's kind of just like, is he hitting his shots or not? He's streaky, but Clay Thompson, I think the situation is a little different. He's a veteran player. He's gone through injury and it's kind of just like, can I he be what he once was consistently again? And I don't know that he can. I'd love to th- that to be reality, but just on a consistent basis, I really don't think so. Yeah, honestly, we might have to accept that. This could just be the player Clay Thompson is now. You know, like he's going to have good games in there, but like he's no longer going to be an all-star or like an all-defensive player. He's just a good player now, but not a great one. That could be the sad reality of the Warriors, but obviously – like we'll have to wait and see for that judgment. But I wanted to go back to uh, Jordan Poole because I think like, especially later in the playoffs, like especially during this series, we've seen his inexperience and youth sort of shine. Obviously this is his first playoffs. And I think we're seeing some of his like, you know, inexperience in these bigger moments come through. I see a lot of possessions where he just sort of gets tunnel vision on the basket. Like he won't even look to his teammates. He tries to score. He tries to do too much. Um, and just gets frustrated sometimes, does a dumb foul, like things that, you know, you would expect from a young player. And it's those kind of things that when you look at Steph Curry or someone who's like been there more times, they don't make those mistakes. Steph is always selfless no matter what. He's always going to get his team the best shot possible. He's always pretty much level-headed. And I think Jordan Poole, especially if this Warriors team ends up going to the finals, is going to have to look at himself in the mirror and do some growing up because – 
you know, if you play a team like Boston, you play a team like Miami, those are the little mistakes that might cost you a game or two. And that might end up making you lose a series. So, you know, the Warriors are a great team in terms of mixing young talent. Like talk about a guy like Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody, like they've been playing great um, along with veteran presence, but you do also, that also comes with some downsides in the fact that you're going to have guys out there playing big minutes and in big moments who haven't really been there before. Yeah. I want to ask you about that actually, but you think of Moses, Moses Moody getting real minutes in this series. To be honest, like, I didn't really expect it that much. Moses Moody was never a guy who got a, a lot of time during the regular season, but I guess Steve Kerr has liked what he's seen out of him. And I've been impressed from him. Like he's been good on both ends of the floor, sort of that two-way anchor. Um, he hasn't had to do too much. Like I would say in terms of the rookies, like Jonathan Kaminga has been given a much bigger assignment um, and obviously has shown a lot more as a result, but Moody's been solid and I could really see him developing on this Warriors team. I think that, the Warriors were really smart not to trade those two first-round picks that they got this year. And now, look, they have a core that, yes, is aging, but they have so much talent that's brewing that it just seems like another dynasty is going to come after, you know, the Steph, Clay, Draymond era fades out. Now, oh, yeah. I mean, we could really be looking at a team that doesn't fade for the next 10 years, which is crazy to think about. They're like the modern day Spurs, seriously, because that's mm-hmm. exactly what the Spurs method, you know, like you're always going to have your, your older core, your, your, um, your veterans, but you're going to still bring in youth and new blood to sort of replenish the old guard yeah. as they, as they feel. I'd away. say from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Kawhi. Yeah. It's just Kawhi sort of mucked up the cycle because <laughs> he, he uh, complained uh, or you could say Zaza Pachulia mucked up the cycle. Um, it's questionable. <laughs> that's a, that's his topic for a different day, but let's let's t- talk about the Mavericks a little bit um, before giving our predictions. Um, I mean, Luca has been amazing. Well, regardless of what you want to say about the Mavericks, Luca has been great. He's now averaging thirty six point six points per game in the playoffs, which is the highest in NBA history. So, like, say what you will about him, but he's always going to have that, and like. What do you think the Mavs need to do right if they want a chance of winning the series? I know how unlikely it is, but still, like, what would have to go right for them? You have to live, if you're the Mavs, with the Steph, with the Clay, with the Wigs, or not with the Wigs, with, with the pool threes. You're going to have to live with those threes just like the, the um, Warriors are going to have to live with your threes. But it's just doing all those other things that we talked about. It's the rebounding, which they're not meant to do. But since they can't do the rebounding, I'd say just getting those points in the paint, being active with your hands in those passing lanes, enforcing dumb turnovers by the Warriors. Because the Warriors, honestly, for how good they are, make a lot of dumb turnovers that are unnecessary. And if you keep forcing those, you're going to be in a really great position. If you can keep getting out in the transition, get easy layups, open threes, I think that's what you have to keep doing. And you just have to just keep forcing the Warriors' hand, get Draymond fouled out, get Poole fouled out. So that the, I think the Mavs have been tr- getting the Warriors in foul trouble in every single game. And if they can keep doing that, I think they'll be in good position. Yeah, I mean, I think I, re- I resonate exactly with what you said about the Warriors and their dumb turnovers because, you know, they have a system that's really focused on ball movement and really emphasizes that part of the game. 
but sometimes that leads to unnecessary passes. You know, like they'll pass on a good shot, trying to look for a great shot, and that leads to a turnover and a fast break basket on the other end. I think honestly, like with the way this Mavericks team is built, for any other team, I would say like you're taking too many threes. Try to go to other aspects of the game. Try to look for more mid-range shots with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie or Jalen Brunson. They really can't, you know, though, is the thing. They can't. Their team is just not built for it. Their team is built for the three-point shot and the three-point shot only. So to, if you're going to want to win the series, you just have to make your shots. It's like literally the dumbest thing ever, but also the most logical thing ever. Yeah, we could see them turn into the new Jazz if they uh, <laughs> take a Rudy Gobert oh, off God. their hands. Okay, Rudy Gobert would change things in a big way and i would well, that's a we'll talk about that in the off topic. season yeah yeah. yeah yeah uh so prediction predict the series and who would you have as finals mvp or conference finals mvp look warriors in five is the real answer but Mavs i'm seven. not giving up i'm not giving up yet maps in seven baby <laughs> maps in seven baby uh i'm sorry i can't i can't buy into it i've been let down by them too many times I'm going to go uh, Warriors in five. No, um, that is the um, real smart decision. But yeah. I'm going to – hey, look, Steph... I'll, ta- I'll take all the heat for it. If the Warriors um, end up winning this series, we'll have to come up with something by the end of this episode as a uh, punishment for my Mavs in seven all the way, baby. We're going Mavs sh- in seven. You got to sh- sh- shave your head. <laughs> oh, no. Sh- okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. But... <laughs> we'll figure out something we'll figure out something we'll figure it Uh, out uh Uh, but wait um yeah so would you have steph curry winning a conference finals mvp yeah uh, i think steph has very clearly been the guy who's going to win that and he's surprisingly been averaging seven and a half boards in this series never a guy that really like get a ton of boards but he's just running around the court so much that sometimes he just ends up in the spot where the ball is going to be Exactly, and I guess that's that's just a testament to how bad the Mavericks are at rebounding, that they're letting Steph Curry look like uh, prime Dennis Rodman out there, <laughs> snatching up all the boards. Yeah, I mean, they really just don't have anyone crashing the glass on offense, which I think is leading to Steph just getting those open, like, you know, quote-unquote, Russ rebounds. It's not too late for the Mavericks <laughs> to sign Ennis Freedom uh, to their roster and play him. <laughs> He'll, he'll get the he's all, a good rebounder. He's a good offensive rebounder, he's, but he's going to give you literally nothing else. Uh, look, they need rebounds. They could just play him at the final. Can you imagine a team and... like just sending somebody in like the finals and then playing them actual minutes? <laughs> like the, the 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 Mavericks have signed Dion Waiters, and then he gets like twenty five minutes a game. Look, desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> Every team in the locker room, there's like a, you know how they have the smash glass in case of emergency with like usually like a, an axe or like a fire extinguisher. They have that in their locker room, but it's smash glass and then it's just a button to sign Dion Waiters to your team. <laughs> it's like a phone, like with only three numbers on it. It's like Ennis Cantor or Ennis Dion, Freedom. Dion Waiters and J.R. Jared Smith is like, I can't come, man. I'm in college right now. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, don't worry. It's summer break. He's like, oh, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm having good. too much fun in the dorms, bro. <laughs> oh, but, like, going back to this playoffs, I think we have to talk about the fact that, like, there's just been so many blowouts. We started the pod talking about that. But, like, this round specifically, 
almost every game in some capacity has turned into a blowout at some point and then just returned to like a closer game. Um, so like the last time that the final score was within five points was the Buck Celtics game five, which was two weeks ago. That's crazy. Like there have been no close games for two weeks. I mean, is there anything the NBA can do about this? Obviously, I don't, I don't really think there is, but like, I'm sure this can't be good for viewership. What do you do if, at the end of the day, this is a product you are selling to people? What can the NBA do? That's a good question. I've been thinking a lot about this because, like, there is honestly a lot that's just out of the league's control. Like, if players are just missing shots or players get injured, there's not much you could do about that. One thing I think you could maybe think about doing in the future is spacing these games out a little bit more because, you know, if you give teams more time to game plan, more times to prep, more time to rest, then potentially they'll come up with different strategies. You know, their players will be healthier, more well-rested, more willing to like drive to the paint instead of just like settling for a three-point shot. Because I would say this is a symptom of a larger issue. And that's the issue of the three-point shot in the NBA and how that's sort of become the primary catalyst for all the offenses in the league. And that's a whole nother issue, you know, like how do you make teams diversify their offense more and do you even have to change that up or will things like small ball or tall ball, like the Cleveland Cavaliers do that naturally. So I don't think the league should really panic too much or worry about it that much right now. But if this becomes a recurring problem where year after year, you know, these series just evolve into blots and we start to have less and less close games then that's when you have to start looking at making some changes. But do you, do you have any different thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think there's not really much the NBA can do about it. I'd say that, you know, we'll see what happens like with this, the next lockout or the next um, NBA agreement with the, play, the player agreement. If there's going to be any sort of new rule changes or things like that, that might... Removal of the three-point line. Honestly? Old heads... We got to talk about this seriously. <laughs> Back to the basket guard play needs to return. And if you don't score using the backboard, the basket doesn't count. Yep. <laughs> Actually, use that backboard. We're getting rid of the basket. You have to hit the square in the backboard to receive <laughs> your points. Yo, Russell Westbrook would be like a, the, <laughs> the scoring champion. Russell Westbrook would be the GOAT. <laughs> No, seriously. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's like a very unfortunate thing, but there's really not that much anyone could do about it. We just got to hope for better games. Mm-hmm. And this is also another big announcement that we haven't talked about yet, but all NBA teams were announced today. Super exciting. Um, let's just get right into it. I'll name them. First team, you have Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Giannis, and Jokic. And this was Giannis's fourth consecutive unanimous uh, all-NBA first team, which is very, very impressive. You know, I mean, he'd been contention for MVP these past four years. So, I mean, clearly he'd be unanimous. I think, obviously, Jokic was also unanimous in this. Um, uh, Actually, I don't don't think so. I think some people had him. Oh, some people had him. Okay, that would make sense. Um, But the second team is Steph, Ja, Damar, KD, and Embiid. And then the third team is Chris Paul, Trey Young, LeBron, Pascal Siakam, and Cat. 
So I think these are some pretty interesting teams. I think there are some surprises. Um, and let's just hop right in. Do you think there are any snubs? Snubs. I I don't know if I can say any snubs per se, like in terms of people left off the list that deserve to be there. Um, but in terms of like placement on the list, I think you definitely have to look at John Morant making first team because he just had looked like for most of the for most of the year the best guard in the NBA. And for him to not make it onto the first team in that guard spot is a bit of a snub, I would say. Um, obviously, I think Book and CP3 are on there, especially Book being first team because of their win total. You know, 64 wins is a big accomplishment, but still, I think that Jaw deserved to make it onto first team. Uh, but besides that, I think this is mostly right. You know, having... Uh, Giannis there, obviously you're going to have him. Um, he, he deserves to be there like year in, year out. Jokic is the MVP. He should be there. Luka been terrific. And Tatum, just like what a season he had, especially like turning the Celtics season around. And, you know, you, you get to give credit to guys like DeMar DeRozan, Trey Young, and Pascal Siakam, and Carl Anthony Towns for putting up the great seasons that they did too. But do, do you think there were any snubs? I do. I think Jimmy Butler was snubbed. I think he should have that Pascal Siakam spot. And while he did not play as many games as Pascal Siakam, Pascal Siakam did only play 68 games. So he did miss 14 games. Um, Jimmy Butler missed 22. So Jimmy Butler played 60 games this season, which was only eight less than Pascal Siakam, which is a t- like a tenth of the season. But even so, he put up better stats than Pascal Siakam and was on a more winning team by a long shot. And w- when we're talking about winning teams mattering, for these all NBA spots and Devin Booker making that first spot. I think that, that it's unfair to say that Pascal Siakam deserves that third team spot. If we're not going to give Jimmy Butler that same reward. Okay. But this, how much does winning really matter when LeBron made it and the Lakers didn't even make the playing game? I mean, LeBron was third in the league in scoring. I mean, that's also something you have to consider. And the, I mean, LeBron, there's also a little bit of legacy with LeBron. Yeah, there is. So like there, there, you have to know that you know, there's legacy that plays into it a little bit, or you even can't even say a little bit. I'd say that's definitely a factor for LeBron. But at the same time, he does deserve to be third team. I'd say over Siakam because he carried a sorry team that without him probably could have been the 15th seed and had the first pick in the NBA draft. And so he carried them from the 15th seed to the 11th seed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, man. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, all I'm saying, like, if I'm being genuinely honest, like, obviously I like to see LeBron there because I'm a LeBron fan, I'm a Laker fan, but if Paul George put up the season LeBron had for the Clippers and they ended as the 11th seed, no one would bat an eye if he was left off the All-NBA teams. I I would probably say something. I mean, if, look, if you're third in scoring in the league and the other two guys are on the, f- the f- what, first and second team, I mean, you got to definitely say something. There would be people in this – in in if if 
look, if okay, if Paul okay. George was putting up numbers like that and it was having an MVP type season just on a bad team, people would be talking about Paul George. But you can't have an MVP type season if you're not on a winning team. But look, look at his Thunder years. My point, like the people talked about Paul George, and obviously that was a more winning team. No, but the pa- the Thunder were winning then. The Thunder were winning. Like they were a good team when people Paul was on the people Thunder. would still be. Uh, my point is, if you're third in the league in scoring, people are going to talk about you in the All NBA conversation, no matter what. Okay, that's fair, but I'm just saying. Like, I think a big part of LeBron being on this list is due to legacy. Because oh, I don't disagree. Okay, if we can agree on that, then that's fair. In terms of going back to Jimmy Butler, where this originally started, honestly, yeah, I, if he was on the list instead of Siakam, I wouldn't really mind too much. I don't think it was like that big of a snub. I, I don't think Jimmy's regular season like was that incredible. Like he was very good, but nothing like blowing out of the water. And I think it's. Do you think the NBA all NBA teams should like give credit to guys who like sort of had like a I don't want to say a breakout season but like a season that's better than what you expected? You know, I would you consider like the idea of like there's there should be a most improved player but like a most improved starting five like a top five most improved like most improved oh like a most improved that would Why honestly not? be interesting like all and it wouldn't ha- it wouldn't first all just, most improved or something like yeah that. it could be like what do you do if like meet a first and second team for example or just a first team it wouldn't even matter it's just a first team honestly because yeah. i think once you go to like second team most improved guard like you're yeah that's 10 you're guys some, in the league. so yeah. yeah i think an almost improved team would be pretty interesting i think that makes sense well, like, take it from the NFL, like, comeback player of the year. That would be an interesting award, I think, that the NBA could, should look at. Because that's one where it's like, yeah, they, a guy who comes off injury, like, or gets traded somewhere, people don't believe in him, and then he just comes back and has a great season. Like, that's a, another award that might be interesting. Yeah, and I am uh, – I know we talked about this, but I'm really livid that Jobs not first team. I mean, we Jobs and MVP conversations for – 50 60 percent of the year obviously this grizzlies team was incredible without him like even in the postseason but i mean it, that doesn't even matter at this point we're talking about regular season we're talking about winning mattering talking about all these things and jaw who still carried this team in every single way is not even making first team uh, over or, um, it's just to me mind-blowing sure yeah i will say like I wouldn't be like as dramatic, I guess. Like, I think it's like I would have liked to see Jaw there, but I think Book, you know, like you have to reward 64 wins somehow. And I think Book was leading there. He was also an MVP talk. So, you know, credit to him. I, I, I would did want to say like the discourse surrounding Devin Booker after that game seven loss has gone so far in the other direction, at least on Twitter. You know, people are so reactionary and very like have very short term memory. Like people think Devin Booker is like a scrub now because he let the ball like he dropped the ball in that game seven and didn't really have the best series, but he had an amazing regular season. You know, there was a reason he why we, we had him in MVP talks and he was really spearheading the 64 win Suns team that looked like the best team in the league for basically the entire season. So like credit to Devin Booker where credit is due, but I, I would agree. I think John did have a better season. Yeah, well. If I'm, if I'm John Morant, I am very angry right now. I'm, call, I'm calling. Uh, I'm calling Adam Silver. <laughs> I think. I think Jaws too focused on next season. I think he's more, too humble of a guy. If I'm being real. No, but, I, I. I think it's an internal thing for sure. I think he's definitely using it as motivation. 
Yeah, I think so. I, I guess like well, the last thing I want to talk about before we end the episode today is just Embiid making second team because Embiid was cl- the clear number two MVP pick this year. And a lot of people thought that he got snubbed when Jokic won. Um, and for him to make second team, like, what do you think of that? I know it's based off position. Like you have two centers, but he could have been voted in as a forward. And just based on principle, like your second MV, uh, second MVP pick is on the second team. Like, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, that's just a tough thing because it's like the, just the formatting is unfortunate for Embiid because it's going to like stain. It's not going to like stain his career or like his legacy. But when people who are just like regular people who don't really follow this stuff as closely look at his resume and they're not going to see that all NBA first team, you know, um, result that might impact the way people think about him. And I th- I'm sure that he realizes that and is angry about it. Um, do you think that all NBA teams should be positionless? Um, I have to think about that, but I because do like as, as we transition to positionless basketball as a general whole. I mean, no center on some teams, some teams playing guys only six, nine and above. So it's just like a little bit of a confusing time in that sense. It is a confusing time, but I think there's always been like confusing things. I think you should still try to keep some sort of structure to these so that you can credit guys at each position. I think you want to give like the three best centers in the league, like their accolades. You want to give six guards and six forwards the same credit. So I don't know if I would support that, but it's definitely a conversation to be had. And I have to put more thought to it. Yeah, I, I would definitely not be in favor of that. I was just presenting an argument. What I would say I'm in favor of, though, is having two of a single position at most on each team. So, like, you could have two centers on one team or two two guards, two forwards. Like, But you could never have more than two of a single position on the same team. Yeah, no, that would, that would definitely, like, allow for a situation like this to be remedied because, you know, you can have Embiid and Jokic to make first team and probably move a guy like Tatum down or uh, – probably actually move like Booker down to yeah, the second well, team. Well, I think really, really, if we're talking about like who is the best players, the team, in my opinion, should have probably been Jaw, Luca, Embiid, and Giannis. Or sorry, oh my God. It should be Jaw, Luca, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. I mean, that's, I like that list, definitely. Um, and I would be fully supportive of that if that was ended up being the team. Yeah. But, you know, that's not the rules. Uh, but what do you think about this change uh, before we end the episode? I just thought of this. Like, we have first through, like, first team, second team, third team, All-NBA. What if we went all the way to, like, 50? It's, like, 47th team All-NBA. <laughs> <laughs> just, just have all of the teams until, like, you have every single player in the league listed out. It's, like, exactly, worst yes. player All-NBA. <laughs> Wait, so there's 300 players in the NBA. Right? Yeah, yeah, what about worst team all NBA? <laughs> Just three teams. Third team is like the best of the three teams. Like first team worst NBA. It's like <laughs> the worst players. It's like first team first team guard, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> and, and, and it wouldn't be based on who's like the worst player by technicality, but it would be based on who played the worst relative to expectations. So Russell Westbrook would be first would be worst team first team all nba <laughs> that's something we got to do in the off season we're going to create our own worst yes. team all nba yes that'll be fun we'll do that but on that note on that very negative note <laughs> that's a good place to end the episode so thank you all so much for listening when we come back next week 
I don't know if we'll be back next week actually because I'm gonna get my wisdom tooth removed, wisdom teeth removed. So I'll actually we'll make it. We'll make a we'll make time next week as I'm recovering. Uh, but we'll be in the midst of the NBA finals, so that's gonna be exciting. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that. So thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Peace. Take care.